Turn with me in the scriptures this evening to John, the 15th chapter. I tell you why we're there so close by, just back up to John 13. John 13 and 34. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. What is the most identifying thing? That it caused someone to know that you are a real Christian. It is the love. That you love one another is referring to your brother in Christ. We're to care about those outside as well. But the command is for you and I to love each other in the family. In fact, we're to treat each other so good. That people on the outside want to get in. Everybody ought to know. You become a part of that church. You'll never be alone again. You'll never be on your own. You'll never have to fight a battle by yourself. The only way the enemy has been successful. By getting people into gangs. And crime families. And this and that is people who have grown up without a family. Without the family of God. And they're hungry for it. And they hurt for it. And they ache for it. And so they get caught up in these phony families. And these families are not a real family. Oh yeah. They got you back. Until you cross them. And then we got to whack you. Nothing personal. (laughs) But the family of God, the love of Christ, he died for us so we wouldn't have to die. Eternal death. No, no, it's the real thing that everybody everywhere is looking for. Now, there's some churches that are just cold religion. The pastors are not even born again. I met a couple. I met a couple who were in a denomination and preached for, I don't know, 30 years and retired and found out in a Bible study after retirement they'd never been born again. Got born again and went to Bible school and said they wanted to get some fruit before they left this world. Isn't that great? Well, if they're not even born again, what are they preaching to their congregation? What do they hear? There's, there's more than two or three churches around like that. There's a lot of places. The new birth is not preached. They're not even sure if Jesus is virgin born. Or that if he really physically raised from the dead. They'll say, well, there are questions about those miracle things. But that's not the most important thing. It's, it's what Jesus taught. Oh, don't you kid yourself. It is the most important thing. If you don't believe Jesus is virgin born. And that he's raised from the dead. You are not a Christian. You are not saved. Are you listening to me saints? You say, oh, well, that's just narrow minded. Yeah, and saved. <laughs> there is a broad way that leads to destruction. And many find it. I know it's not politically correct, 
But it's Bible correct. I tell you what, for time's sake, just jump to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Keep reading. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Did you know you can know scriptures and not know God? You can know, think you know a lot of things about good and evil and right and wrong and, and not know God at all. Jesus even said to the most religious leaders of his day, he said, search the scriptures, which was insulting to them because that's all they did <laughs> was search the, script, the letter of the law. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are talking about me and you won't come to me. So here it is, the thing they've been studying about, reading about all their life and that their fathers and forefathers is standing in front of them and they don't even recognize it, don't even see it. So it's possible to be very religious and not know God at all. If you do know God, what will be front and center evidence? Love. Love. Because God is love. Everybody said out loud. God is love. Back up, read verse 7 again. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8. He that loves not knows not God. If you don't know this love... That's evidence you don't know God. You've not met him. You don't know him. There are people who know about Jesus like a historical figure, like Abraham Lincoln, like George Washington. But they, when you start talking about, have you met him? They look at you strange like, oh, here's one of these fanatics. No, he's alive and real. And if you've been born again, you've met him. I didn't say you saw him with your eyes. I'm not, I didn't say you heard him with your ears, but you met him. And I didn't say you know all there is to know about him. And yet you know him. And we're learning more about him all the time. And what's one of the chief evidences that you have met him and that you do know him? The love of God, the love that God is, is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And if you'll let it, if you'll let that love dominate your thoughts and decisions and words, then the love that God is, that love in you, God in you, is God manifested through you. And if people see and hear that love, they're seeing and hearing God, who is love. Can you say amen? Now love has been so maligned and so skewed People love their car. People love pizza. Uh, and love, a lot of folks think lust is love and desire is love. And they're so, such a convoluted thing. And our minds need to be renewed. Love is not a feeling. God is love. Love is a person. And God so loved the world. It didn't say he so loved the world that he had an amazing feeling. 
It didn't even say that he so loved the world that he yelled from heaven, I love you. No, what was the chief demonstration of that love? God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave the greatest he had. The greatest gift and price that's ever been paid, ever been given for anything, was paid and given for you and I. We must be valuable. I said we must be valuable. We are valuable to God. We've already covered some ground in talking about this great love. We said this love, we talked about identifying, if you haven't been with us in previous services, you can go online, you can download it for free, you go out in the back on your way out and pick up a disc, it won't cost you anything. And we talked about what this love is not. We've also talked about that this love, last time I was with you, that this love is an everlasting love. Now that's worth shouting about. Everything in this world that you're touching is temporary. And oh man, what a lot of people call love is you're wonderful today and can't stand you tomorrow. It is so fickle. It is so temporary. It is so changing. But the love that God is, that he loves us with, is an everlasting love. And I could get excited about it and preach it again right now. But let's go on to another part of this. This love that God is, go to Ephesians 4, please. Excuse me, I'm moving too fast. You go to Ephesians 4, but I didn't finish reading 1 John. Put up verse 16, please. Y'all keep going to Ephesians 4. I meant to end up with this. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. Two things. You've known it. That word know is experienced. Same idea as Adam knew his wife Eve. Known and experienced and believed the love that God has to us. Even though you hear how much God loves you, that doesn't mean you've received it or believed it. Said out loud, we have known and believed the love that God has to us. And so he said it again, God is love. He that dwells or lives in love dwells or lives in God and God in him. We have known and believed. Now in Ephesians 4, the end of the chapter, he's describing something about this love That's a very big part of it. Ephesians 4. And we'll begin in verse uh, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is spiritual contraband for believers. We shouldn't have any of this on us. What should we not have? Bitterness. bitterness. You know, if you got very much bitterness in you, people can see it on your face, your countenance. It puts a hardness in your countenance. If you're bitter on the inside, it's going to show up on the outside. It'll put a, a hardness in your tone. You'll be sharp with people. You'll be snappy with people. And, you know, it's not right 
But people on a regular basis take out their frustrations on other folks that had nothing to do with it. I mean, it, it happened. I heard a guy one time describe a scenario where that on the job, this guy's boss jumped on him and chewed him out, made him mad. So when he got off work, he came home and he jumped on his wife and chewed her out. And then she jumped on the kids and, and chewed them out. And then they kicked the dog and the dog bit the mailman. And then the mailman went home and jumped on his wife. This is happening. It's not right. But it's happening. People uh, get upset and mad and bitter and hurt about something. And go take it out on people that had nothing to do with it. Just because they're. But but the problem is if it's in you. It's going to come out. If you're full of hurt and anger and bitterness. It's going to come out. You may try to hide it, but you're not going to be able to hide it all the time. What's in you is coming out. There's only one way to fix it. Get it out of you. Get free from it. Do what the Bible said. What did it say? Let all, A-L-L, bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all evil speaking. Do what with it? Put it away from you with all malice. Keep reading. And instead of that, how are you supposed to be? Be ye kind. Everybody say kind. 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 We have another word for kind in these modern times. Nice. Nice. A lot of times if you're around somebody saying, boy, they were so nice. If you come back, you'll realize it, they were kind. They were considerate. They were kind. And if you say, well, boy, they weren't very nice. Oftentimes they were not kind. They were unkind. Kind one to another. Again, this is specifically talking about to your fellow believers. People at your house. People at your house. And then everybody else around you, their circle can, can broaden. But, you know, if you walk in love with the folks you live with, you can walk in love with anybody. Right? Because right? that's the most challenging. <laughs> Watch about elbowing people. Be kind one to another. <laughs> Even if their picture gets really painted here tonight, it would be kind not to punch them. Everybody said out loud. Be kind. Tender hearted. Notice this next phrase. Forgiving one another, which is about the kindest thing you can do, isn't it? Forgiving one another, and you do it even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The, the epitome of kindness is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something owed. Not something deserved. Not something merited. Even by definition of the word. If somebody needs forgiveness. They've done something wrong to you. But to forgive them. How many can see that's ultimate kindness. And that is Christ likeness. That is love. God who is love. Manifested in you and through you. 
Say it out loud. Be kind. Be kind. Tender hearted. What's the opposite of tender hearted? Hard hearted. What would be the opposite of kind? <laughs> mean. Hard hearted. Not forgiven. Is being unchristlike, ungodly, not doing the word. Kind one to another, tender hearted. Be kind one to another, what? Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Read the next couple of verses. This wasn't written in chapter and verse originally, it was just a letter. Be followers of God as dear children. Did he forgive us? Has he forgiven us? That's what he just got through saying. And he didn't do it because we were so wonderful. He did it because of the Lord Christ. Didn't he? And walk in love. As Christ also has loved us. And has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God. For a sweet smelling savor. Love. Is not. A feeling. It's not just. What people write about in their romance novels and what Hollywood talks about in the movies. God is love. And we need mind renewal. And this love is an everlasting love. And two of the chief expressions of this love that we're going to begin to get into right now. Is this love, this God kind of love that God is. It gives And forgives. God so loved the world that he gave. And with this gift of Christ. It enabled him to forgive us. He gave us the master Jesus. He gave us the redeeming blood. He gave us the eternal life. And in this gift was the forgiveness of the sins and unrighteousness that had separated us from him. That had prevented him from righteously blessing us and restoring us to full fellowship with himself. Everybody said out loud, give and forgive. If you're really walking in this kind of love, this will be evident. You'll be a giver. And you'll be a forgiver. This love. Gives. And forgives. Be kind one to another. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Forgiveness. Is very serious thing. Very serious. Unforgiveness. Is one of the worst things you could do to yourself. And other people. It's not a small thing. It's a huge thing. You talk about something that will mess your life up. Something that will stop your faith. Something that will dull your hearing from God. Something that will cut off your favor. Something that will stop the development of miracles in your life. It's unforgiveness. Which is violation of the New Testament commandment. Because love will forgive. Which is another way of saying God will forgive. Because he is love. What are the benefits of not forgiving? (laughs) What would 
you come up with that you want by holding a grudge. Well, if it's really nothing, why are millions doing it? There are millions of folks. And sadly, a lot of church-going people, they're not forgiving. And they are holding grudges. And why? Why would you do it in light of the Scripture? Why would you hold on to it? Some people say, well, I I can't. That's a lie. That's not true. If you're a born-again child of God, you got the love of God in you. He gave you the love to love with. And love would forgive, wouldn't it? So if you're not, if you're refusing to forgive, you're refusing to love. You got the love in you, but you're not yielding to that. You're yielding to the flesh that wants to be upset, that doesn't want to forget it, that wants to remember it, that wants to hold on to it. And it is a devastating thing to the one who won't forgive. In Matthew 6, you know the Lord prayed a lot. You know they heard him say a lot of things in prayer. But one of the main prayers that's recorded for us that almost everybody knows, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Notice what's emphasized. Verse 9, he said, After this manner pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He must want your daily needs met or he wouldn't have told you to pray. Would the Lord ever tell you to ask for something it wasn't his will to give you? Certainly not. And what's the very next thing? Forgive us our debts. Now, you'll find this at least a half a dozen places in scripture that sin is referred to as debt. Something you owe. It'd help us to get this, our mind renewed when you think of sin to think of something you owe. If you look at Luke's account, he talks about this. Our sins. Here it calls debts. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive our debtors or those who've sinned against us. You've read Luke's account. You know he talks about forgiving people of their sins. But here Matthew calls it debts. Same thing. 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14. For, is this connected to the prayer? For, if you forgive men their trespasses. Now he, he, he first called it debt. Now he calls it trespass. Which you could also say sin. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. He'll forgive you if what? If you forgive men their trespasses. Verse 15. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, their sins, their debts, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't believe we've talked enough about this in Christian circles. I don't believe it's been first and and forefront enough to us. Here is a situation where God won't forgive. 
Here is a case where the father is not forgiving. People say, well, God will always forgive. Not according to this. When will God not forgive? When you don't. Is that fair? It is perfectly fair. If you will forgive others, he will forgive you. If you won't forgive others, he won't forgive you. That's serious, isn't it? Now, how would that affect us if we're not forgiven? Friend, when you understand how things really are, you'd be afraid not to forgive. Because this is the enemy's way in. This is his way of access to steal, kill, and destroy. And you begin to see why of all the things the Lord could have said is the New Testament commandment, what did he say was? Love one another. Why? Because if you'll do this, you'll keep the devil out. You will keep the door shut. He will not be able to get to you and get to your life. And so, if that's the case, you begin to see why this is one of the biggest things we deal with in life. The enemy is continuously trying to stir up something between you and anybody around you, isn't he? Because if he can get you in strife and he can get you holding a grudge and he can get you refusing to forgive, he just got his ticket in, his way in to your affairs. To cause problems. To steal. To kill. To destroy. How many believe it's important? To give and forgive. Give and forgive. Thank you Lord. There's so much here. But for time's sake. Go to Acts the uh, 26th chapter. Thank you Lord. He's helping us tonight. Acts 26. Sin is the devil's way in. There is a devil. Children of God should not be afraid of him. But you should be afraid of sinning and not repenting. Because it allows the access to the enemy. Notice this phrase, Acts 26 and 18. Acts 26 and 18 says... To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Now why would you say that the very next phrase after being delivered from the power of Satan? Because the wages of sin is death. And the devil is the one who had the power of death. It's been stripped from him. But he's obviously still operating in the earth. There's all kind of stealing and killing and destroying. So how can this be? Because people either don't know. Or they're not walking in. This forgiveness. Because when you receive your forgiveness. And when you forgive others. The power of the devil. Doesn't have access to you any longer. 
This is one of the greatest things you ever heard. This is the gospel. Why did Jesus come to take our sins? Why did he go to such great lengths so that we could be forgiven? We just got through reading in Ephesians that God, for Christ's sake, because of what Jesus has done, has forgiven us. Do you believe we needed to be forgiven? He needed to have a way to forgive us. Why? Because without it, he couldn't receive us. He couldn't restore us. He couldn't protect us. He couldn't help us. But when you get that sin out of the way, and when you get that forgiveness, the blessing floodgates open. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace and get whatever we need. We can call him Father. Him call us son and child. But immediately he commands us to love each other like he has loved us. Love each other like he has loved us. And this love, how has he loved us? One of the biggest demonstrations of his love is in that he forgave us. So how would we love each other the way he loved us? One of the biggest demonstrations would be forgiving each other the way he has forgiven us. Can you say amen? Amen. What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't? When you refuse to forgive. Well, we just got through reading, the Father doesn't forgive you. What does that mean? What does that mean? Look with me in 2 Corinthians 2. I believe these additional two passages will help cement it for us. I believe if we really knew the truth about this and we really saw it, we wouldn't dare hold a grudge for two minutes. I mean, our slow to forgive days would be done. If it was only for personal reasons. Not to mention the other people that were involved. If it was just for yourself. You would forgive. Immediately. And completely. And you wouldn't bring it up again. (laughs) If for only your own sake. But of course it has a wonderful benefit for theirs. Doesn't it? Because. You're demonstrating the love of God to them. You're loving them the way the Lord has loved you. Said out loud, God's love love gives and forgives. Second Corinthians 2, you know, second Corinthians means there was a first Corinthians. And in the first letter to them, he wrote to them about a situation that was not good in the church. There was a man who was living with his stepmother. He had taken his father's wife from him. Wasn't his mother, it was his stepmother, and he was living with her, but he wasn't just living with her. He was still doing all his duties in the church, and everybody was acting like it wasn't a problem. Like, hey, we're all under grace here. And, you know, there's folk that talk like that nowadays, that no matter what you do, you know, the sin's already been forgiven, and, you know, God's not going to hold your sins against you, so it really doesn't matter. It's just a flesh thing anyway. That's not right. It's not God you have to be concerned about. 
It's not like if you sin and won't repent or you won't forgive that God's going to get you. He's not your problem. He does love you. He's not against you. He's not going to remember your sins and iniquities. But you know who will? The enemy of your soul. And he's looking for a way in. And unforgiveness gives it to him. Sin gives the devil a way in. Now, 2 Corinthians 2, after Paul reproving them and correcting them, basically telling them, do something about this. This needs to be straightened up immediately. Well, they did. But apparently they were a bit harsh about it. Maybe they went a little overboard. Coming down on this guy and this woman too hard. So now, listen to what he tells them in the second letter. If you read the rest of it, he tells them that word got back to him of their zeal and their fervor and how they responded to what he said and how they got on it and how they've changed it. But in verse uh, 6, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, he says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. <laughs> so that contrary wise, you ought rather to do what now? Forgive him. Forgive him. And do what else? Comforting. Yeah, but he, how he must have hurt his daddy. Can you imagine? Taking away your dad's wife. And then just living with her in front of the whole church, everybody. Just marching her in church and maybe your dad's still sitting over there on the other side. I don't know. But what does he say now? Forgive him. Everybody say forgive him. Say it out loud again. Forgive them. People say, yeah, but you don't know what they did. Does it matter? Is there a category or list of things that people can do that's beyond being forgiven? And the Lord said, oh, no, you don't have to forgive that. That's the uh, too bad category. Uh Uh-uh. Not only forgive him, but do what? Comfort him. (laughs) Comfort him. Tell them, you know, hey, y'all messed up, but it's not the end. God still loves you. We still love you. Now, you can't prance around here and act like everything's okay with this situation. It's not okay, but it's not the end. You can get it right. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your life, even if you messed up terribly. Comfort them. Forgive him. And what else? Comforting, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now, if people won't repent and get things right, then it's hard to help them. But if somebody's willing to repent and get it right, man, you ought to be the first one saying, wonderful, great, good. Things can be okay. We can get past this. If you're willing to repent, There's a future. Right? I don't care what you did. There's a future. We can get past it. There's a way. Forgive and comfort. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Verse 8. I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. The guy that pulled the stunt. Confirm your love. How are you going to confirm your love toward him? 
Forgive him and comfort him. For this end did I also write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. They were obedient when he said, this is not right. This can't stand. You got to take care of this. So they did. So now he says, okay, now you need to be obedient to this. Forgive him and comfort him. Verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the presence of Christ. That's a whole lot of forgive. He said, you're forgiving them. I'll forgive them too. We're doing it in the presence of the Lord. God forgave all of us for Christ's sake. And why are we, verse 11, why are we doing all this? Oh, get it, friends. Why are we doing all this? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Now this verse has been pulled out of context. And quoted about a lot of things. And I'm not saying it couldn't apply to anything else. But this is what he was talking about. Why would Satan get an advantage of us? If we didn't forgive. He would get leverage on us. He would get access to us. He would get a way in here. To steal, kill and destroy See, this is not just Paul talking. This is the Spirit of God speaking through Paul. And as soon as they dealt with this grievous, glaring sin in the church, immediately he says, all right, now you've dealt with it. Forgive. Forgive and comfort. Now, why? Lest Satan get an advantage in the church here. Unforgiveness is the devil's way in. It gives him access. And you don't want the killer, stealer, destroyer to get into your life and to have any way of doing things in your life. Do you? Go back to Matthew, please. Matthew 18, 21. What does love do? Love gives and forgives. Matthew 18 and 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now let's just stop right here. Why would he ask his question? <laughs> Why would he even ask this? <laughs> There's at least a couple reasons I can think of. One, is they must be hearing about it a lot. They must be hearing out of Jesus about forgiveness. Mustn't they? And there must have been situations that came, because people were trying to do them harm and, and come against them. Pharisees, Sadducees, doctors of the law, different groups. And, you know, there were people that spoke against them. And, and there, you know, the one occasion where some of his disciples said, you want us to call fire down on them? He said, no, no. <laughs> so they were having people that were saying and doing things against them. And obviously, what was the master telling them? Forgive them. Forgive them. He said, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Take advantage of you. Forgive them. Forgive them. They saw him drag that woman that was caught in bed committing adultery with somebody else's husband and they saw what he said about her and man that was quite a deal 
And all those guys walked off because their own hearts condemned them. And then he looked at her and says, uh, woman, where's your accuser? She said, nobody's accused me. She, he said, me either. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't say you hadn't sinned because you had. What did he say? Don't do it anymore. Why? If sin doesn't matter, why even say that? <laughs> or how about this? There's some folks think, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And the implication is, and some even teach this, that you are a sinner and you're going to sin. And that is inescapable and unavoidable. There's no way that an old sinner like you and me is going to make it through a day without sinning. Because that's what we are. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. The truth is, you can go months without sinning. You can go years without sinning. Jesus went a whole lifetime. Now, all of us have already come short of that record. But to say you have to sin every day, there are multiple scriptures that say otherwise. Multiple. How about be angry and? Well, if you couldn't help it, why would you say that? There are multiple scriptures that reveal and show. First John 2, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Well, if you couldn't avoid it, why would he tell you don't sin? No, you don't have to sin every day. Sin is violation of light. Sin is to him that knows to do good and does it not. To him it's sin. Whatever's not of faith is sin. Sin is not doing what you know to do, doing what you know you shouldn't do. It's violating light. And everybody could make the right choice if we chose to. But thank God if you do miss it, if you do come short, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. I said he's faithful and just. Does anybody know the rest of that verse? He's faithful and just. To what? To forgive. Because that's what love does. Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all the unrighteousness. Or is anybody thankful for the Lord forgiving you? Oh my. You know one of the biggest ways to show how thankful you are that every time you need it, he forgives, he has forgiven and does forgive is forgiving other people when they ask it and need it from you is one of the biggest ways to show how thankful you are. That's what the scripture said, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiven people are to be forgivers. Shouldn't they? Boy, it's hypocrisy not to be. It's extremely bad not to be. Peter says, and also, why would he say, you know, how many times do I have to forgive him? Uh, unless maybe there's a case he's got in mind that he thinks would qualify that this guy has done it too many times and he wants to just be able to mark his name off his book and go, hey, that was time number 35 and that's it. That I don't have to forgive you 36 times. <laughs> if you're serious about getting right and not doing this, 
Uh, we'd have been through this at time number eight or nine or whatever it was. So how many times, Lord? When can I cut him off? <laughs> Peter even gave him a number, didn't he? Verse 21, what did he say? Seven times is plenty, right, Lord? Right? I mean, if they pull the same dumb stunt eight times in a row, then hey, right? No. <laughs> Go away. Don't talk to me again. Seven times, because you know seven's a number that's used in Scripture, and it's a good number. And seven times, Lord? The Lord, what did the Lord say? No. Not seven times. Seventy times. I think Peter probably took a step back. He thought, whoa. Seventy times. And the implication could be that it's in a day. Basically, quit counting. Right? And just forgive. No matter how many times it comes up. And now, now this is easier to talk about sitting up in here in church. But is there somebody that has done the same thing against you? 15 times? 30 times? It gets old. Hmm? It gets old. And you're thinking, man, if they cared about me, if they were serious, they'd get it together. They'd quit doing this. You know the same thing could be said about you? <laughs> you reckon the Lord could say the same thing about you? If they cared they would quit doing this. Let, let's be real honest for just a moment. Don't raise your hand. I'm not, not going to have you come up here and testify about this. <laughs> but have you ever missed it in the same area more than 10 times? Yeah. More than 30 times? Yeah. We all have. You don't necessarily have to be robbing a bank or even telling a lie, but but sin is sin. If you knew, don't do it, and you did it. Why'd you do it? And you came and asked God to forgive you, and, and you did the same thing 150th time. I remember one particular thing. I I had messed up over and over in this thing. And I don't mean I say I, I didn't have women on the side, and I wasn't stealing offerings. But it was it was something. You know, a flesh thing. He just kept doing. I came and I said, Lord, I don't know, what is this, the 99th time? I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive. And he spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard a voice. He said, I only see one. I'm only aware of one. What we're talking about right now. Didn't he say your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more? Right? And Jesus paid for them all. And the only reason he doesn't see anything against you, the blood has covered it, but he sees the condemnation in your heart. And that's a problem. Because there's something between you and him. And if you don't receive the forgiveness and cleansing, even though it's provided, it doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit your and his relationship. He said, son, as far as I'm concerned, we're only dealing with this. And I've found that the Spirit of God will comfort you even when your own heart is condemning you about something. Which is how we ought to be. When people come and they've done the same dumb thing for the 80th time, 
You need to be mature and spiritual and gracious. And even though you feel like slapping them real hard. Or you feel like just unleashing this barrage and going, what is wrong with you? That won't help. That will not help. All that will do is make them feel worse. And a lot of times when people feel bad because of their pride, they get mean. They should repent. And the reason they're acting so mean and so hard is because they hate their self. They feel so bad about what they've done and how they've messed up. And if you'd humble yourself, you wouldn't get hard, you'd get soft and you'd say, forgive me. But a lot of folks have too much pride and they won't do that. So they just get mean and they get hard. And the thing is, it doesn't look like it on the outside, but they are desperate for help. They are crying on the inside. And they don't like their self. And the Bible says, ye which are spiritual, do what? Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Even though you feel like All this stuff, you can bite your lip. You can remember how many times God has forgiven you. Right? You can remember if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd be in a ditch somewhere tonight. Right? Or dead years ago. And you can remember how many times you've been forgiven. And you can look at them and no matter how you feel, you can say, look, the important thing is that you get it right between you and God. And he will forgive you. And so will I. Well they don't deserve. You don't either. They don't deserve. None of us deserved it. That's why Jesus had to come pay it. It's not about their performance. Well if you'll promise me. That you'll do better in the future. When the Lord ever tell you that. If you'll promise me and if you'll do better for a few years, I'll think about forgiving you. That would insult what Jesus has already done. He's already bought it. He's already paid for it. No, it's not based on performance, good or bad. Now, you ought to do better. You should and you can. But the forgiveness is not based on it. It's a choice. A love choice. You choose to. Got nothing to do with how you feel. Based on what God has done for you. And based on the love that he's put in your heart. Say it out loud. I choose choose to forgive. forgive. Say it again. I choose choose to forgive. And if we had time, we'd read the rest of this 18th chapter of Matthew. It is so rich. He talks about the man that owed the huge amount and how he pled and the guy that he owed forgave him. And then uh, that guy that got forgiven that million dollar debt went out and grabbed somebody that owed him $20 and demanded that he pay his debt. And uh, he said, same thing. Give me some time. I'll do it. He would not. Had him thrown in jail. He just got forgiven a million dollar debt and he has a guy thrown in jail over a $20 debt. And what happened 
is his Lord found out about it and called him back in and the debt was reinstated on him. And he said again, if you won't forgive, he said the father's going to do this with you. If you refuse to forgive your brother, their trespasses. Friend, it's serious business when you don't forgive. I mean, it's, it cuts off your blessing. It opens up the door to the enemy. You can't afford not to forgive. You cannot. It's nothing but pain and sorrow. You do it by faith. It's not based on how you feel. And when you do, oh my, it opens up a whole window and avenue access of the Father to us. That's the power of forgiveness. It provides God access to our life. Oh, can you see it, friends? But what does unforgiveness do? Just the opposite. It denies God access to us and provides the enemy access to us. Don't just take my word for it. Now, we've shown you several scriptures, but put your own nose in the book and study this out. See if this is true. If it's true, it's worth keeping in mind night and day. Isn't it? If it's true, you ought never even consider holding a grudge or putting off till tomorrow forgiving somebody. If I'm forgiven, I can be healed. My needs can be met. I can be delivered. I can be set free. Right? The devil has no right to do any of his things in my life. Because by the cleansing of the blood, it's as though I had never made any mistakes. I'm completely innocent. Deserving no punishment. Not guilty of all charges. That's what the blood is proclaiming on the mercy seat tonight. The Bible said the blood of the Lamb speaks better things than the accusation of the, my brother killed me. The Cain and Abel situation. The blood of the lamb is saying. Not guilty. But innocent. Innocent. That means you don't deserve to be sick. You don't deserve to be broke. You don't deserve to have mental problems. You don't deserve any punishment. Why? Innocent. Clean. By the blood. Somebody say I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. I'm free. I'm forgiven. Whew. Glory to God. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven means I can be healed. Means my needs can be met. I can be free. Means the devil doesn't have a right to stand in the way. To hinder it. To block it. He didn't have a right to. Thank you, Lord. Go to Matthew, the ninth chapter, and I think we'll close with this. If we need to, next time we'll pick up and go more into this. Matthew 9, verse 2. They brought to him a man sick of the palsy. This is a paralyzed situation. Lying on a bed. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins be forgiven you. 
That's not why he came. He came to get healed. Right? What's the first thing the Lord talks to him about? What's this got to do with him being healed? It's got everything to do with him being healed. Your sins be forgiven you. Why would he tell him this? Because he's about to tell him, rise up and walk. And it's going to take faith to believe that. And it's going to take faith to act on that. And faith doesn't work when condemnation is on top of it. It takes boldness to believe you can stand up and do something that's impossible. And condemnation is the faith killer. It's the faith destroyer. That's not just my idea. First John says we have confidence toward God if our heart condemns us not. Well, what if your heart does condemn you? Then you don't have confidence. Your confidence is not there. And that's why the enemy is working all the time with the temptation, with the junk, with the strife to keep us in some degree of guilt or shame or condemnation or embarrassment. Because if he can keep you there, he can keep you powerless. He can keep you faithless. And in this world, faithless is defeated. Right? Because it takes faith to receive. It takes faith to overcome. Doesn't it? It takes faith to resist the problem. And condemnation absolutely destroys your faith. It's the faith killer. Why would he tell him first? Your sins be forgiven you. Because if he believes that. He's got no reason to be condemned. About anything. And he's ready for the next thing the Lord's about to tell him. Right? Your sins be forgiven you. Keep reading. Certain of the scribes said, this man blasphemes. Other accounts said, who can forgive sins but God? Who does he think he is? He can't tell him his sins are forgiven. He's blaspheming. Verse 4. Jesus knew their thoughts. He said, why think evil in your hearts? Keep reading. Which one's easier? (laughs) For a paralyzed man to get up and walk? And be miraculously healed and made whole? Or to say your sins are forgiven? Which one's harder? Which one's easier? Most Christians today would say, oh, well, it's a whole lot easier to get your sins forgiven. Yeah, just ask Jesus to forgive you and you're forgiven. But, but you know, paralyzed, whoo, that'd take a mighty miracle. They're connected. They're accomplished in the same redemptive plan. When the sin's dealt with, the other problems are dealt with. Oh, come on, friends, can you see it? It's one and the same. If you're forgiven, you can be healed. If you're forgiven, you can have your needs met. If you're forgiven, you can be free. Which one's easier? Say your sins be forgiven you or say get up and walk? Well, they should have shut up and they, they couldn't do either one. And if they got somebody with them that, that knows what to do. But no, their pride wouldn't let them do that. They're supposed to know everything. They told the people for all these years they knew everything. And now everybody see it. The Bible said the common people heard Jesus gladly. And when he shut those guys down, they cheered. 
Because they have thought for years they were messed up, but most of them couldn't even read, so they didn't know what to tell them. They didn't know, that's not right. They just had to sit there and go, well, they're in charge. But when Jesus said, no, that's not right, they went, yeah, I told you that wasn't right. No, that's not right. The common people heard him gladly. Oh, but the leaders hated him. They hated him. Which one's easier? Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He turned and looked at him and said, get up. Take your bed and go to your house. It's not what he told him first. What did he tell him first? Your sins be forgiven. Why? You got to get the condemnation out of the way or your faith won't work. You got to get rid of the guilt. You got to get rid of the shame. If you've been endeavoring to believe for something, especially for years, and you've been falling short of it, you hadn't been getting there, it's not that it's not God's will. It's not that you can't have it. It's that your faith has been hindered. Begin to dwell and feed yourself on that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that you are washed by the blood of the Lamb, that God doesn't remember your sins and iniquities anymore. Feed yourself day in and day out on that. What will happen is it will push that guilt out of you and that shame and that embarrassment. And when that goes out, your faith will come up. Your confidence will reach up until you'll believe God can do anything in your life. And the hindrance is removed and you'll have miracles. What happened? Get up. Get your bed and go to your house. Verse 7. And he got up. And he left. Went to his house. Yeah, but he can't do that. He's paralyzed. Yeah, but he did. Yeah, but he can't. Yeah, but he did. (laughs) He's paralyzed. Yeah, but he did. He did. Why? 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 Because he had a revelation that his sins are forgiven. And then his faith soared. And he believed anything could happen. Oh, saints, can you see it? Do you hear it? Do you believe it? Stand up on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.